in the Revolutionary War itself, which ultimately brought us the initial freedom that we enjoyed, the deaths that occurred on the American side were about 25,000. In the next major conflict, which kept our, our nation united, which was the Civil War, the death toll in that was 625,000. In fact, if, if I remember correctly, I think the Civil War cost more in human lives than all of the other conflicts with which we've been involved. The First World War resulted in 116,516 American deaths. And in the Second World War, 405,399 gave up their lives to protect our freedom. How many today? The number continues to grow. And we don't know where that number is going to stop. And it probably will never stop for the simple reason to maintain our freedom. It's going to require sacrifice and the sacrifice of lives. We enjoy that freedom and we love it. But for our spiritual freedom, only one life was offered. It was the life of the person of Jesus Christ. And when Peter wrote about that, he wrote about that one who gave of himself. And he said this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Christ shed his blood that we might be free. And the quality of that blood, and I, and I want to keep in mind that we are not necessarily focusing upon the human dimension of the blood that was flowing through his veins, but the one in whose veins that blood was flowing, God the Son. There is no more precious blood than that. There is no more pure blood than that. There was no taint of sin. There was no corruption that existed in that, in that blood. There was no rebellion that existed in that blood. The precious blood of Jesus Christ was shed so that we might be set free. Our freedom requires the continuing sacrifice of individuals so that we can continue to enjoy our freedoms. But for spiritual freedom, the incredible price of the blood of Christ is what purchased that for us. In addition to that high price tag that's involved, there's another dimension of this sacrifice and of, of the, the freedom that, that we enjoy, and it's found in an unparalleled number of benefits. Now think about what we enjoy in our political freedom today. We have the opportunity, as a people, because of our freedom, to participate in the selection of our leaders. We have the opportunity to go to the poll and vote. Sometimes those for whom we're voting, they, they win and they're elected. Sometimes those for whom we vote are not elected. But the majority will 
cast their ballots and they will select from president on down to local officials. And, and we enjoy the benefit of being able to do that. We enjoy the benefit because of our freedom to be able to say what's on our minds. We don't have to worry about a... Well, I, and, and some of you are probably thinking about the, the examples of people who would take away our, our freedom of speech. But, but those things are, are isolated situations that can be dealt with individually. But I'll give you a case in point of what I'm talking about. My barber is from Kosovo. And some of you recognize how bad a place Kosovo was not too many years ago. And he said that as they were under the, the domination of the Soviet Union, he said, we could not say anything that we wanted to say. We had to be very, very careful to speak only those things that the party wanted to hear. And we got off talking about the Olympics. And he, he said he would watch the Olympics. And he said, when the Americans would win, we'd all cheer quietly. And then you'd have to go outside and say, oh, did you see the uh, Russians won this event or that event? And that's what they could talk about. But then they'd turn around and they'd say, but the Americans won this. And he said, until we were given our freedom, we, we couldn't speak freely. We can. We can travel from state to state without having to carry special papers with us that will give us the freedom to move from one place to another. We can pack up today, and if you want to drive all the way to Washington, you can do so without hindrance. We have the privilege of worshiping together. And today we're here to worship, and we're here to lift up the name of Jesus Christ freely. And we don't fear someone entering this room and trying to stop us from worshiping the Lord as He has required us to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Those are wonderful things that we have as freedoms. But think about the unparalleled benefits of what Jesus Christ provided for us. Back in this sixth chapter of Romans... Look at the first benefit that emerges as we read this passage of Scripture together. Notice, we have freedom from the dominion of sin. He is not telling us that we are free from the presence of sin. But we are free from its dominion, its authoritative power within our lives. When sin beckons you and me to follow its path, before we were born again, before we were regenerated and given the presence of the Holy Spirit within our lives, we would obey that temptation. We were under the authority, the power of sin. But in Jesus Christ, we're set free from that. In the 18th verse of this chapter, notice it says, And having been set free from sin... It's beautiful the way this is written, that little phrase that you and I don't see this in our English, but in the original, what this is saying is this was an event that happened once and it's good for all. It only had to occur one time. What happened at that time? It was the moment our hearts received by faith the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins and we passed from death into life We were given a whole new life and we were set free from the bondage of sin so that now we can serve the Lord freely as 
Servants of righteousness. As you go on in the remainder of that chapter, you see that freedom unfold. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin... You were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in those things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. When we receive this freedom in Christ, we are brought into a new realm of experience that goes like this. Everything we did before knowing Jesus Christ as Savior brought absolutely no pleasure to God. And I know some people would object to that and they would say, well, wait a minute, aren't people who are kind to other people, aren't they pleasing to God? Not in the spiritual realm. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Everything that an unsaved person does is done apart from the life that we receive in Christ and before God the Father, there is nothing that earns His pleasure. But after we trust Christ as Savior, we now have the opportunity to fill our lives with those works that bring honor and glory to Him, not to gain His merit, but to express the reality of His pleasure that is already dwelling within us. And through Christ, we have a freedom now that allows us to be productive for our God. The Chinese learned something, and they are still obviously under a communist rule, and and their people do not have the freedom that we enjoy, but they did learn this. They learned that when they gave farmers freedom, rather than dictating what they grew and how much they would grow, They gave them freedom to determine for themselves what they would be able to produce. All of a sudden, the production in communist China began to increase dramatically. It was because of their freedom. That's exactly what happens when we trust Christ. We are set free to be able to do the things that please Him. But that isn't the only benefit that we enjoy. As you go into the seventh chapter, you find there's another one that emerges. We are set free from the curse of the law. Look down at chapter 7, beginning at verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another, to him who has raised from the dead that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What Paul is telling us is this. The law that God delivered represented a compelling service that created resentment. When you're told, do not do this, one of the first things that you find yourself wanting to do is the very thing that you've been forbidden to do. Is that not true? 
Kids, if your parents say, uh, don't go to this place, don't you want to go? You're not going to answer me, I know that. You're all going to sit there like I'm some Martian and, and I don't know. But see, I know what happens with kids because the same thing happens with adults. The very things that we're forbidden to do by law, those are the things we want to do. But we are set free from the law in the sense that it is no longer our schoolmaster. It was our schoolmaster to bring us to the place where we recognized that just because God established laws didn't mean we had the ability to keep them. And as a result of that, every one of us became sinners. There were none of us that were righteous. None. None of us did what God required. And so the law declared to us our condemnation. But once we received Christ as our Savior, we were set free from that curse of the law, and we were set free so that we could serve the Lord now voluntarily, knowing that if we fail, we have forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ, But now it's not an issue of being required to do certain things and not required to do others in order to please God. He's already pleased with us. But now we honor Him as we do those things that He has called us to perform because we've been set free from the curse of the law. He has also freed us from the power of death. Go to the 8th chapter and notice this in verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ, Jesus, has made me free from the law of sin and death. There are a number of different laws that are at work within us. We have in our physical bodies the law of death. As much as people would love to avoid dying physically, the fact of the matter is we're going to die. Because we are under a law that requires the physical demise of these bodies that have been impacted by sin. Apart from Christ, we are under the law of spiritual death. Which means there is nothing within us that answers to the true and the living God. There is nothing within us that is worthy of life spiritually. The only life that we can enjoy is spiritual life that Jesus Christ gives. And here's what happens. The law of life in Christ supersedes the law of spiritual death without Christ. Go back and take a look at that second verse again. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ, that regulative principle that's that's there, has made me free... From the law of sin and death, my sinful soul, which is spiritually dead, is brought to life and given a righteous standing before a holy God because of the law of freedom that we have in Christ. And so Christ changes everything. Ultimately, the law of the second death will overtake those who don't have the law of life in them now. And those of us who have the law of life in Christ never will face the second death. And you read about that in the book of Revelation. Let me give you another principle. 
Freedom demands responsibility. We know that. We know that today because we have the responsibility to guard our freedom. And at this point in time, we have people who are doing just that. They are guarding the freedom that we have. When Paul wrote, he wrote this when he wrote to the Galatians, and he said this in Galatians chapter 5, the first verse. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. What kind of yoke of bondage is he talking about? Listen, when we trust Christ as our Savior, we've been set free from the dominion of sin. I don't want to go back and become a slave of sin again. Before temptation would come, I'd obey sin. Now the temptations come and I recognize this. That sin, I've been set free from that. I don't need to go back there anymore. And so I guard the freedom that I have in Christ. But there's, there's another side to this as well. Sometimes people do not grasp the reality of the freedom that we have in Christ. And so what happens is they believe that though they are saved by faith through the grace of God, they live lives that are pleasing to God by doing certain things and by not doing other things, and therefore they wind themselves back into a law of spiritual slavery that believes by the keeping of the law, God is happy. Do you all understand that we have been set free not only from the dominion of sin, but we are also set free from a legalistic pattern of life that causes people to believe by a list of do's and don'ts, God can be well pleased. How do I know that? As I go on in this realm with Christ and and with the Apostle Paul and what he's writing, he tells us this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is liberty. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about. There are those who believe that unless you read your Bible and pray every day, God is going to be angry at you. Have any of you ever believed that? Some of you, maybe, maybe I missed it. Okay, I, I, I saw one hand. Tell, tell me this. Just, I, I, I would like to see because maybe I'm way off base. How many of you at one point or other thought that if, if I don't read the Bible every day and pray every day, that God is going to be very, very unhappy with me? And, oh, okay, now, now you're fessing up. All right, quite a few hands have gone up. Do you understand that the the Lord doesn't become any less happy with you if you don't read the Bible on a given day? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Pastor, what are you saying? That it's not necessary to read the Bible and to pray? That is not what I'm saying. But if you believe that by reading the Bible and praying, God is happy with you, you are mistaken. God is happy with you when you not only hear the Word, but you do the Word. And the reason we read the Bible, hopefully every day, is so that we will become doers of the Word and not hearers only. Some people have 
uh, superstitiously engaged in reading the scriptures, believing that, okay, now I've pleased God. Now I can go through the rest of this day and everything will be okay. No. No. You read the scriptures so that you can understand what God wants from our lives so that as we go through the rest of the day, when temptations come, we recognize them, we know our defense to stand against them, and we move in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. So we still wind up reading the Bible, hopefully every day. But you know what? If you miss a day, God's not in heaven waiting to smack you down. Do you all know that? Boy, I hope you do, because honestly, so many Christians believe, unless you do it every day, it's a legalistic thing. No! Why does God want us reading His Word? So that we might know Him. And as we know Him, we live to please Him. So Paul is warning us. Hold your liberty. You have been given freedom in Christ. But in addition to guarding it, you also have to restrain it. Listen to what he says in Galatians, the fifth chapter, the 13th verse. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty... Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Ah, here's the other side of the coin. Yes, we have freedom in Christ. We don't please the Father by keeping the law. The Father is pleased with us because of our identification with Christ. And now we want to do what is righteous and right before our loving Heavenly Father because we do want Him to be pleased with us and the way we live. But we do it voluntarily, and we do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. But some people have taken that liberty, and now they move it into the realm of license. And they say this, you know, I can do anything I want, and God's going to be happy with me. And I am free to do anything I want. And quite frankly, this is a part of the Christian community that we're probably not that familiar with. But there are believers who who hold this view. Well, they claim to be believers. That they are able to do whatever they want. And it's okay because they are in Christ and they have forgiveness of all their sins and they have eternal life. Paul just warned us about that. He said, you be careful. Don't allow your liberty to become something sinful in and of itself. And so what he has painted a picture of is this. The, the way one, one commentator, a fellow by the name of William Hendrickson, he, he said this, and I thought this was a great way to put it. He said, there are two polluted rivers. One is legalism. The other is license. He says, the bridge of liberty crosses both of those that we have in Christ. And it's easy when you're walking across that bridge to lose your balance and to fall into one or the other. And he says, don't do it. Don't live under a cloud of legalism. Don't live in the sewer of license. But see in the life that Christ has given you the liberty that you have to serve Him, to please Him. And don't take that liberty so far that you forget that our God is a holy God and He is a righteous God. And then He goes on and tells us this. 
you have a responsibility to use that liberty and to bring glory to the Father through it. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. Now we use that liberty that we have. Just like we we use our liberty as Americans. I'm going to use my liberty today. I've already used it. I'm here. It's a great thing to be free to be here. Wednesday, I'm going to celebrate the political freedom that I have. But quite frankly, every day, I revel in the freedom that Christ has given me. The freedom from that dominion of sin. That freedom from the curse of death. Or pardon me, the curse of the law. And freedom from an eternal death that's been replaced with a law of life and liberty. And then finally, here is what the Lord points out to us. That there is also an accountability that comes along with freedom. James chapter 2, verse 12. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. I have freedom. I have freedom in Christ. And today I have been set free to serve Him, to love Him, to live for His honor and for His glory. Because that one person, God the Son, went to the cross, took the penalty of my sin, so that I could be purchased and set free. And now I can honor and glorify Him because of all He has done for me. Has He done it for you? Do you personally know that Jesus Christ is your Savior? Do you personally know that your sins are forgiven? The Bible says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And by that he means we turn away from our sin and we embrace the person of Jesus Christ in what he did for us at the cross of Calvary in dying for our sins and being buried and then rising again from the dead. And the Bible says we accept that sacrifice by faith. His grace extends to us his favor when we believe what he says and when we believe what he has done in the person of Christ. We are going to gather around this table. It's a table of freedom. It's a table that remembers what Jesus Christ did for us when he gave his body as a sacrifice, when he shed his blood to cleanse our sins. And as we gather around this table, we do so declaring we already know Christ. May I challenge you to consider something? There are those who do believe that if you partake of the Lord's table, or they might call it by a different name, they might say if you participate in the Mass, that this gives you God's grace and you receive the benefit of eternal life through it. The Bible never teaches that. The Bible tells us that it's not by works of righteousness, and this is the right thing to do, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. 
when we partake, we remember. We remember the one who died to give us freedom. If you know him, participate with us. If you don't, trust him now. Right now, Lord, I believe in Jesus as my Savior who died for my sins and rose again from the dead. Right now. And you pass from death into life. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege it is to gather around this table of remembrance. Lord, as we go through this week, we're going to remember the freedom that we have as a nation. We're going to remember those who signed that declaration and what that means. And we're going to remember those who have fought to maintain that freedom that we have and those who are fighting even now to do that. But Father, far beyond all of that, we thank you for the spiritual freedom that you have provided through the person and through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for him. Lord, we remember him for what he has done. Amen.